This is Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Each month, we interview experts in the field, discuss the data, and explore all facets of the housing market. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or a seasoned real estate professional, you will benefit from our insightful conversations and gain property intelligence as we discover more about the key issues shaping our industry. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. Communication is about so much more than just the words we use. If you're a realtor and you can't decode the body language of your clients or colleagues, you might miss critical clues that would help you land a sale or negotiate a better deal on behalf of your client. But once you crack the code of this secret second language, you can use it to build trust with clients and improve negotiation outcomes. My guest today is Pamela Barnum, a nonverbal communication expert and trust strategist. She is here to share techniques for building trust, interpreting body language, and detecting deception. And she's uniquely qualified for this. Pamela worked as an undercover police officer in Ontario for years before becoming a federal prosecuting attorney. She then studied corporate negotiations in graduate school. Now, she shares her expertise as a popular speaker and leader of workshops, seminars, and courses, where she teaches others how to improve their communication skills and build trust inside corporations, associations, and law enforcement agencies. So welcome to the podcast, panel. It's great to have you here on the show and to cover this unique topic. Well, thank you so much for the awesome introduction, Jason, and I'm really happy to be here. So let's let's get a deep dive going into some of these topics because I always get excited. Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting topic, and I think, as I said, pretty unique. And I think most realtors would agree that building trust with clients is a vital part of, of being successful and, and, you know, selling a lot of houses and helping a lot of buyers and sellers over the long term. And you gave a TED talk recently about the, the role of empathy in, in building trust. So how would you define empathy and, and why is it so critical in establishing a, a trusting relationship? Well, empathy really comes down to our ability to sense others' emotions and imagine how they're feeling, and then to be able to respond appropriately. So emotional intelligence, of course, plays a huge role in this. And it is so critical to establishing trusting relationships because people want to be seen, heard, and understood. And I don't think we've ever lived through a time in history where that's been more important. And when you have uh, professional realtors dealing with people that for some of them, it's going to be the largest investment they ever make in their life. And that whole no like trust comes into play, but really it boils down to trust being the most important uh, foundation because, you know, we will all do business with people we don't know. I think sure. often realtors deal with people they don't know very well. And, you know, even people sometimes will deal with people they don't necessarily like all that well if they trust them with they, but we don't do repeat business or give referrals to anyone that we don't trust. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and, and I think, you know, for any realtor or member of the public listening to this podcast, you know, they'd agree. And, and so if empathy is so important for building trust in a relationship, how can realtors demonstrate that they feel empathy for their clients, either in what they say or what they do with their body language? Well, I'll start with body language, because I think that oftentimes how we say something can be even more important. You know, we hear the words and People have set scripts often or they, you know, they 
plan what they're going to say, especially in negotiations. We're so focused on what the other person is going to say that oftentimes the way we present it and the way we respond comes across lacking empathy. And that is a detriment to our message. So I use an acronym. I love acronyms. And I know they're very popular in the realtor world. So I say we have some empathy, S-O-M-E. And the S stands for smile. And that is a genuine, natural smile, not an artificial or overly inflated smile. But that tells people we're interested, we're pleased to see them and to be dealing with them. And then the O in some is for open and keeping an open body language, an open stance, refraining from crossing our arms or crossing our legs or crossing off our body language, which can sometimes just be because we're more comfortable. Oftentimes, when we're standing or sitting, we can lean back and cross our arms or move forward. But that can send a message, especially if our body language has been open the whole time. And then all of a sudden we cross off, people might not even consciously see it or realize it. But subconsciously, they're like, okay, what happened? Where are we closed off? And the M is for mirroring. And I don't mean the Simon Says game that we all played when we were kids, but I mean a very subtle and natural, authentic mirroring that happens. This was probably my number one technique when I worked undercover to establish rapport with complete strangers in very unique circumstances. I used it as a federal crown attorney and, of course, in negotiations, and I continue to use this technique. And A very simple way to do it is you're dealing with someone, you are slowly and subtly mirroring some of their movements, and then you can test to see if you've established this rapport and connection with someone. So let's say you're communicating three, five, seven minutes into the conversation, and then you get that feeling that things are going well. We all know what that feels like. The way to test this technique is to then shift your body language. So move in a way, move your coffee cup, your glass, stand differently, uncross your legs, whatever it is, and watch to see if within 30 to 45 seconds, the other person does the same. If they do test it again, you've established that you have this rapport and it's a great way to test. And then of course the E in sum is all about eye contact. Now I should point out this point that I'm using references that primarily deal with North American or Western cultures. And I grew up not far from Toronto. And I know it is an incredibly multicultural city with new Canadians coming every single day. So being aware that some of these techniques may not transition well into your international client base. So being aware of what their culture and what is the norm for them is very, very important. But you know, getting back to eye contact for Western culture, making, you know, 60 to 70% of eye contact, registering the eye color of someone is an easy way to do this when you're having conversations. But again, be cognizant that in some cultures, this can be seen as disrespectful. And in other cultures, it's completely necessary. So I just wanted to put that out that culture plays an important role in context. Yeah, it's an interesting point. So it's it's a general set of rules that you can sort of use initially, uh, but you need to adapt, I guess, uh, you know, depending on on who you're working with. And that's an important part of the job is sort of understanding, you know, your client or, or potential client, 
um, may be. I want to come back to the the open part that you mentioned. So I, 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 I'll admit I, I'm an arm crosser and I've seen myself do it sometimes on camera and Zoom and I kind of stop because, you know, you're right. It does. It, it, it may look a little bit weird to some people. Would you say, though, that as your, I guess, relationship with a certain client or potential client sort of builds over time, um, do you necessarily have to get rid of all those habits or do you need to kind of ease back into them? I mean, what, you know, what do you recommend? I think it depends, but great posture is is good for a number of things. It helps us uh, communicate better. It also helps us lower our stress and retain information when we need it for critical thinking. So posture is more than just you know what our chiropractor or our mom yeah. tells us. And having great posture includes keeping our arms more neutral, whether we're standing or sitting. I'll give you a brief example. I was speaking at a conference and the presenter before me was great. He had wonderful content. People really enjoyed the content. And then the format was at the end, there would be a Q&A for each of the speakers. He did his Q&A and he'd been standing for close to 60 minutes and he crossed his arms before he started answering questions for the Q&A, just naturally. And when the reviews come back, because normally speakers receive feedback through the person who organized them from the audience, and people were commenting that he felt that it seemed like he didn't want to be there, that he seemed bored by their questions. And I was listening. I couldn't see, but nothing seemed further from the truth. And then when we did a debrief um, a few weeks later, we talked about it. And I had seen some of the video and I commented that that could have been the turning point that people are watching. So regardless of our relationship, now, someone that you're really, really comfortable with, you know, you're people you live with, good, good friends. We often lean against the counter, cross our arms. But imagine we're at an open house and you know we've been working with this seller for quite some time. They're fine with us, but we've got new people coming in yeah. and we've been there all day and we're uncomfortable. And I would you know, urge people to really work on their posture, their core strength a little bit more that sends a different message than when we're leaning or crossing. I think it's really and good especially point. online. Yeah. And the smiling too, right? I mean, sometimes you don't realize that you're not smiling. Maybe you're not even upset. You're just mm -hmm. in a serious mood that day, but it could put people off. So it's a it's a really good point. We all have that RBF, don't we? Gravity takes over and you know, our face kind of hangs, and we can look sour when really we're just neutral. We're just that's just who we are. And we can't always be thinking of these things all the time, though, because then it just becomes, you know, am I, am I smiling? Did I make enough eye contact? What it That makes us stiff and artificial. Yeah. So these are things we can take one at a time and slowly work on incorporating it into who we are. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about our own posture and our own mannerisms and how that can sort of project a, an image, either positive or negative, as the case may be. Um, I want to turn the tables a little bit and talk about, you know, if you're dealing with a client or a potential client, um, their body language. Uh, so what are yes. things that a realtor ought to be looking for or watch for that, that might show, you know, A, whether trust is being built or B, you know, whether there's interest in the conversation, whether people are, are generally or are, are genuinely, you know, thinking about using you as a, as a representative for their needs, et cetera. Absolutely. So one thing is to have a little bit longer of a baseline. I know that in our busy go, go, go world, hustle, hustle, that small talk and really being interested in the small talk is difficult. Yeah. You know, how is the traffic coming to the home? Uh, you know, what do you think of this weather lately? 
those are things that some people are really great at. Other people struggle. They just really, you know, want to get into uh, why they're there. But I would strongly encourage people to take a little bit more time and serious interest in small talk for a couple of reasons. Number one, for me, as someone who pays a lot of attention to body language, I want to see how people react normally when we've reduced some pressure. So we're not talking about the sale. We're not talking about a purchase. We're not talking about, you know, those important things. We're just talking about, you know, where the kids go to school, what you did for summer holidays, those small things. But I want to pay really close attention to how people answer those questions, what their body language looks like when they're answering those questions, some of the words that they use so that I can mirror some of those words back to them. And then when we get into maybe some issues that could be a little bit more controversial or contentious, you know, for example, price, you know, our seller has a very unrealistic idea of what price is, or uh, they're just tire kickers looking for different realtors. We want to get to those questions that will help us address that. So we're watching for a shift that happens in their body language. And our brain will be able to see that delineation between how they were responding when there was no pressure or limited amount. Because anytime we're dealing with someone that we see in a sales role, some of us can feel pressured about that. And then how they respond when it really comes down to uh, the nitty gritty of what we're talking about. And when we see changes, that's what we want to pay attention to. We want to see those shifts where people go from looking and appearing really comfortable to maybe appearing uneasy or uncomfortable. That's what we're paying attention to. And when we see that, we can draw some conclusions that we need to then verify with more questions and more observations. It almost sounds like what I read about one time about uh, you know, administering a, a lie detector test or polygraph where Absolutely. you're asking a series of baseline questions that shouldn't elicit any kind of real emotion from uh, you know an individual. And then you start getting into the tougher and tougher questions. And, and so it allows you to kind of see um, you know, whether their demeanor is changing uh, over time. It sounds like a similar exactly. concept. Very similar, yes. Now, sort of thinking about that, so I'm, you know, you're you're kind of moving from, you know, the small talk, getting to know one another into, you know, the, the business of the day, namely buying or selling a, a home, let's say. Um, are there are there certain sort of mannerisms or traits? Because you still don't really know this individual that well, potentially. Uh, are there certain things you ought to be looking out for when you to kind of know where you're getting into a, a zone of uh, a less comfort, let's say? Absolutely. So we're going to be looking at facial expressions are really important. Our face can betray us often when we are disinterested in something. Uh, We'll see that in someone's face. The other thing is where they position their torso. Okay. Uh, If they're facing you and they're aligned with you, that is a great sign. Okay. If that shifts and now they are shifting their torso away from you while they're still maintaining eye contact, and having their face pointed toward you, that is an important indicator that there's maybe moving on. Subconsciously, they're moving on. If we see their feet start shifting maybe toward the door, they start leaning more toward the exit. It seems obvious, but we're not looking for that. You know why? Because as professionals, especially in sales roles, we're paying such close attention to what the words are going to be, what they're saying. Okay. And we... I can't, I've never met a human being yet who hasn't acknowledged that when they're in an important discussion with some time with someone, 
There are times where they're not even really listening to what the other person is saying because they're formulating in their mind how they're going to cut off that objection. Yeah. So when we start here, <laughs> as opposed to letting the objections just keep coming, let them talk and watch where they're shifting. Because what is the sense of, of spending all of this energy if someone is starting to move on and you're just thinking about, okay, the words they're saying, we want to pay more attention often or at least equal attention to what they're not saying because they are also working on, okay, how do I say this? How do I communicate this? Right. They're not often paying attention to what their body language is telling us. But subconsciously, yeah, they're they're changing their demeanor, they're changing their approach. So you can kind of understand whether what you're saying is getting through and maybe you got to change your tack a little bit, if not. Exactly. And, and, you know, sort of just building on that, that idea, I mean, there's other qualities that a, a specialist like a, like a realtor needs to convey um, that, that, you know, convince you or, or convince the individual that, you know, you're the right person to sell their home, you're the right person to help them find a place to, to rent, etc. So, uh, you know, how would you want to display, you know, those sort of specialist skills those specialist techniques that you can bring to bear on the, on the situation? And how can you kind of communicate those qualities, I guess, both verbally, but also non-verbally? Well, I think one important one, obviously, is competence. And Treb does a remarkable job by offering so much information to build up people's confidence in what the regulations are and how the sales process works and all of the uh, minutiae that goes into a very complicated uh, sale and purchase for people. So competence, I think, you know, it goes without me getting into and deep diving because uh, being a competent realtor is not my area of expertise. Sure. But having displaying that competence in our language, being able, being knowledgeable, doing a lot of homework before we go into each scenario. Of course, as we get more experience, that's less required. But confidence is my area, and confidence is critically important because we're not going to inspire confidence in our in our client, our customer, if we aren't confident. If we show up looking defeated you know, making ourselves small as opposed to being more upright, more open. If we, if our attire doesn't match the level of professionalism and competence that we are communicating to someone, you know, I'm never going to give fashion advice to anyone that is never, that's not my area. But I do know from the research and from my own experiences that when we present ourselves, our personal hygiene, grooming, clothing, et cetera, at or above the level that we are wanting to communicate to others, that works. You know, if we are showing up in Rosedale, for example, in, you know, our, our golf shorts and a t-shirt, that might not appeal to that particular client. Sure. A- and we really want to be aware of, of looking that we have that confidence and that we have that professionalism. Personally, I haven't seen any research that tells us that we can overdressed to look professional. I doubt you're going to show up in a tuxedo, that sort of extreme, but looking professional is important. The other areas of confidence, I think, that are so important. Research tells us that confidence, having that inner self-confidence is a great buffer against negative emotions. Now, remember, our emotions will show up in our nonverbals. How we feel comes out. So if we're not feeling confident, It's going to be difficult for that to come out. We want to prime ourselves for confidence. There's a little exercise I would encourage everyone listening to try. 
both professionally and personally. If you need some confidence or you, you're recognizing that maybe you're not feeling it in that moment, remind yourself of a time or a deal that you did that worked out really, really well. Remind your, and if you're a new realtor and you don't have a lot of that experience to bring to the table, remind yourself of successes that you've had in the past. Doing that primes our brain to feel more confident and it will show up in our nonverbals. And here's where it's important. Having that confidence, that feeling, makes us more accurate when we are reading others. Right. It's also great for, uh, it frees us up to do great things, to maybe take some more risks. It also makes us better negotiators. We're more proactive. We're more decisive. So working on our inner confidence will show up externally. And it is a very powerful tool. So I want to go to sort of a spot where, you know, you follow the SUM acronym, you have all the best intentions. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, not every relationship is going to be without bumps in the road. And mm -hmm. so, you know, conflict can sometimes occur in a client relationship. Maybe it occurs during negotiations with another party, but your client's still involved. You still have your, your job to do. Do you have advice on how to behave when, when this conflict happens? Are there times to move towards that conflict rather than away for it uh, or away from it? What are your thoughts on that? Well, having worked more than 20 years in the criminal justice system, conflict was part of my daily job description, essentially. Sure. And you learn a lot. And here's where the best of the best at handling conflict. And I observed other undercover police officers, other officers, lawyers, et cetera. And I adapted a lot of this, really paid a lot of attention. The first is perspective taking. Seems obvious, but so often when we're feeling that conflict arise or we feel challenged, our go-to emotion is to meet challenge with challenge and to justify ourselves or try to defend our position in a way that is not effective. So number one, perspective taking. Where, If I were in this client's shoes, how would I see this? Maybe there's things we don't know about this particular person. They are you know, on the on the brink of bankruptcy, for example, or their child is ill, or there's a million things that we have no idea. I say give people grace and the benefit of the doubt every single time and take perspective. The next part of that is curiosity, because interested people are interesting. So if there's conflict arising, get interested and curious in that other person by asking some questions. And then it will help you observe these new and different ideas that it'll help you see these things that you might not have seen before. It really assists with perspective taking. It's also associated with higher levels of positive emotion, not only in you, but the person that you are curious about. So we're going to lower some anxiety, increase positive emotions. Research has shown that curiosity actually enhances intelligence, increases physical and mental stamina. So much so that people can recall things from memory easier, and they have a 20% increase in physical stamina, which is incredible. And I think most, almost more important than all of this is that curiosity enhances our empathy. And when we feel that someone empathizes with us, that they see us and understand us, we reduce that conflict and we go further in building a great relationship. And I'm not going to say it's easy. I know that 
there are probably clients that you've either dealt with or you see their phone number show up and you'd rather put a hot stick in your eye than answer the call. <laughs> and, and everyone's dealt with those people. But, you know, shifting that around, okay, what is the best case scenario for, for everyone in this? And then get curious. So asking questions, acting curious to try to elicit more yes. information as to why this conflict may be arising to begin with um, is a great start. Or staying away from the conflict as well. So yeah. asking some questions that maybe will steer us away. You know, you might be at the point in the conversation where you need to ask sure. something along the lines of, you know, um, is there something that has been, is challenging for you? Or is there something that perhaps I've done that's upsetting? And really calling that out and and being apologetic and Sure. understanding where this person is coming from, for sure. I think, uh, yeah, great points. If if someone's getting bent out of shape and they're sort of venting, uh, can can silence ever be a, a, an effective tactic? I mean, I remember doing some media training, you know, early on in my career. One of the things that was suggested is, is sometimes that sort of dead air tactic can help elicit more information from, a, from an individual that's maybe being interviewed, or in this case, you're having a discussion about a, a real estate transaction. Uh, clearly. So number one, I always want to emphasize that your safety is paramount. So if you feel at any time unsafe or that things are not going well, then you just you need to remove yourself from that situation immediately. But if it's just simply someone is, you know, a little angry or they're upset or frustrated or they're trying to, you know, verbally um, get through some things, there's there's some there's some things we want to watch for for violence. And I know that Trev does a remarkable job bringing experts in on that. Um, you know, increase in profanity, closer body language, all those things. But aside from that, if it's just simply an upset, silence is an, a remarkable tactic that works. And oftentimes we don't use it because we think it signifies anger on our part. But it does. People just want to get things off of their mind. So silence is a great tactic. Lets them think and lets them hear themselves. Sometimes, if they go on long enough, it also communicates. Depending on how your body language is that you want to hear what they have to say, that you are interested. And oftentimes you will hear a few things that you didn't even know they were upset about, or you had no idea that that was even an issue because until that moment, it had never been communicated to you. So letting people, giving them that space, and you have to though appear interested in what they're saying. And you are you know, leaning in, maybe keeping a neutral expression. You're not, because, Hey, we're human beings. When we feel attacked, yeah. our go-to emotion is to protect, respond. Right. And that takes some training to be able to take a step back and just recognize, okay, this person needs to vent. Let them do that. I want to hear what they have to say. And then give them the time to finish and then respond. And I want to talk about that progression a little bit more because obviously there'll be lots of situations where people are upset they're venting, um, and it's uncomfortable. Uh, but I guess there, there's there, there, there's something else where, you know, we're talking about, you know, arguing, moving, you know, more towards like deception, lying, yeah. bad dealing, that type of thing. And, and what are the signs that, that, that someone has moved into that sort of uh, 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 deceiving you, um, not telling the truth, or at least, you know, stretching the truth? What are the signs you can watch out for to, to know when you're kind of moving into that realm? Well, having that baseline is great. That's critically important because you want to know how they respond, how they answer questions, how they communicate information with 
that without the stress or the challenges. So once you have that baseline, the longer the better. What you're going to do is you're going to look for two or more cues. And I'm going to give you three verbal and three nonverbal, but we need to find two or more. The first must happen in the first five seconds after stimulus has been presented. So the stimulus could be the question you ask. It could be going over the disclosure form that they filled in. It could be getting them to sign something. It could be anything. What The stimulus is the situation that provokes their response. Right. So you want two or more cues. And I'll give you three verbal, three nonverbal. And these are tested by, and again, just by seeing this doesn't mean someone's absolutely lying to you. Right. It are their cues that you can more accurately rely on so that you can now ask them more questions or maybe investigate a little further because you're thinking, okay, uh, this doesn't feel right. And here's right. my proof. So three, uh, let's start with the, um, the nonverbal. So the first would be a verbal nonverbal disconnect. So they, you ask them if they are certain that there's not been leaks in the bath in the basement or something along the lines that you want to know about. Yeah. And they answer you by shrugging their shoulders. Absolutely. Um, they and they have no idea. They're or you know even more telling is they tell you absolutely there's never been a grow up in this house, uh, but they are nodding their head yes as they answer something in the negative. There's never been a grow up in this house. And I exaggerate it for the purposes of sure. our call. You know, I'm really nodding my head up and down. Yeah. But if you watch closely, you can see that in people where they will answer, when in doubt, believe the body. The next one is when we try to cover our mouth or our eyes answering a question. When I was a prosecutor, I would watch witnesses on the stand. And once I asked a question, if they covered up their mouth or covered up their eyes, I paid very close attention to what was happening next because most of us don't want to lie. So unless your client is a sociopath, a psychopath, or a narcissist, because none of these rules apply to people with those challenges, people don't want to lie. They feel very uncomfortable telling a lie. We don't like it. And we don't want the words to come out of our mouth. And we don't want to see your expression as we lie to you. So it can be very fleeting. It can just be a moment. A few seconds, but what if they, unless they're doing it all the time, the sun's in their eyes, or you know they feel they had garlic for lunch or something. If they're if they haven't been doing it in the baseline and they do it in response in the first five seconds of your question, pay attention. The next is very similar. It's hand to face, so touching our nose, rubbing our ears, stroking our forehead. We see in responses our brain reacts when we feel stressed with a fight or flight mechanism. So in that, our body, our brain, our sympathetic nervous system sends the blood from our face, our head, into our hands and our extremities, our legs, in order to be able to get away or to fight. Not literally, but you know, as we've evolved. So then that makes us kind of itchy. When the blood is gone, we right. start to feel that we need to scratch or pull on our ears. So those are three nonverbal. So the, the verbal ones, I'm going to guess that your listeners have probably heard one of these at one time or another. The first is what I call a referral statement. They will say something along the lines of, as I've already told you seven times, as I indicated on the form that you already have, 
as I told the other person from your office, as I've already mentioned. So if they're not answering the question directly, but they start their sentence with, they've already told it at some point or already disclosed it, right. that's a light bulb moment if it happens okay. in the first five seconds. The next is invoking religion. I swear to God, Allah is my witness, not a stack of Bibles. You know, if we haven't had God invited into the conversation up and until that point, and all of a sudden they take a seat at the table with us, be aware. That's not normal to all of a sudden, you know, try to be swearing to tell the truth. Um, and the third is the punishment question. And this is a very uh, useful law enforcement technique, and it's a great technique also in sales. And it can be along the lines of, you know, what do you think should happen to someone who uh, did not disclose that there'd been a fire or that something had happened or that they uh, didn't qualify um, for the, the funding that they need for this purchase or whatever the question is, ask them, what do you think should happen? And if they respond with something very, very lenient along the lines of, you know, they probably need more time at the spa or there's some, there's some other very lenient answer, pay attention, that's a red flag. Now, if they respond with a very aggressive answer, like, you know, they should never be able to purchase a home again, they should, their credit rating should be decimated. If it's really an extreme, then that's a neutral answer. Don't pay attention. It doesn't mean they're not telling the truth. It's just counted as neutral. So sure. we're looking for excessively lenient to be a red flag. So we've we've talked a lot about a lot of different techniques in that today, and I you know I, I, I've I, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I guess the final thing I want to um, touch on is is you know people will will take this advice to heart, and and it's all great advice. But how do you walk that line between being authentic and and sincere versus you know it, it being blatantly obvious that you're really trying to employ these sort of nonverbal techniques in your uh, in your day to day interactions. Well, if they don't feel and look natural, or especially if they don't feel natural, they're definitely not going to look natural, which is going to have the complete opposite effect of what you want. So all of the techniques that I teach are shaped by who you are. You need to, it's like clothing. It's not a one size fits all. We have different ways of wearing things, different things that are comfortable for us. And it has to really fit with who we are. So when I was working undercover, there were some undercover officers who were great, who would do things uh, that worked out really, really well. But for me, especially since I was the only woman in a large undercover drug unit, some of those things wouldn't work for me. So I had to do them differently and I had to make them fit who I was so that they felt and looked natural. So authenticity is critically important. And how I think that people, especially if they're new to some of these techniques, can make them their own and make them authentic is practice. When I was first becoming a lawyer and I had to appear in front of a jury, that's a lot of stress. You know, there's a lot riding on that. I would practice my opening argument to the jury on video in my house, dressed as though I would be, you know, in court, my superior court gown. And I really paid close attention to keeping my body language open and not using a lot of filler words like, like, um, ah, uh, going through, it takes practice and commitment, but it's worth it. Think of the people that you know, and it, public figures are a great place to look, that have those verbal tics or are trying to do things because they've been coached a certain way and it looks awful. It doesn't fit who they are at all. And that's because it's not natural to them. We need to make it natural to us 
by practicing and making it fit the way that works best for us. Some people use a lot of gestures and they need to keep that. Some people don't use any gestures and that is completely fine. Just finding what works for you, critically important. Yeah, I, I think that's an important point to hand off on. I mean, you can get all the advice in the world, but it's a matter of sort of working at it and 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 sort of applying and improving your trade mm -hmm. as you as you move forward. So, Pamela Barnum, I really can't thank you enough for coming on the Ready to Real Estate podcast today. I think you know it was a fascinating discussion, um, and, and so again, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Jason. And make sure you don't miss another episode. Subscribe to Treb's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you again for joining us. And we'll see you again next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate. Thanks for tuning in.